Hello, welcome back to Homecoming. This week, we're going to start fact-checking the stories our brains are offering to us through our emotions and our bodies, and just get to know where our brains might be a bit off track, where our brains have been fed ways to interpret our environment that are no longer accurate or serving us, when our brains are getting, you could say, a bit overdramatic, perhaps for good reason from past experiences, but they're not serving us 100% truth. Like I said before, the stories that our brains are offering us through our emotions are optional. They may be a kind of truth about a situation, but they're never the full truth because there's always millions of ways to view any situation. And sometimes letting go of the story that our brain has been telling us about a situation can free us up to ways that feel better. So for example, if you're trying to rest and your body is constantly telling you that you can't rest because you have too much to do, how can we shift that story to allow you a better sense of what's really going on in that present moment and allow you to rest more completely? So I'm going to tell you a story about a time that I felt really anxious and what that taught me about the stories my brain was telling me versus reality. It was a while back, I am on a committee um, doing curriculum planning for residents, family medicine residents in my area. And I was really excited because I had this speaker that I was uh, in love with and we had an upcoming opportunity to invite the speaker to come uh, teach our residents. One of my colleagues who sits on the committee made a bunch of, in my uh, storytelling, um, I would say critical comments, questioning comments, um, based on their past experiences uh, that they'd seen, like, oh, I've seen ads for that speaker on Facebook. They don't seem very professional. I'm kind of concerned that they won't be a good speaker at this point. I felt so anxious. I was leading, I was like chairing this meeting. I felt immediately like flooded with emotions. I felt this pull, like I was angry and defensive that he was questioning my judgment. But I also had that strong people pleasing pull of like wanting to agree with him. It was a mess. I like fumbled my way through the meeting. I agreed with him, but also sort of passive aggressively said, well, do you really think we shouldn't invite? Maybe we could. And he kind of backed down and we got out of the meeting. I felt very unsatisfied. I don't think anyone probably felt satisfied in that meeting. And afterwards, I was trying to relax and calm down at the end of the day, lying down in bed, trying to fall asleep. And I just kept replaying that meeting over and over in my mind. Why had I had this embarrassing reaction? Why couldn't I have just either stood my ground or like calmly asked him more questions? But I just felt like he was undermining my judgment. He was questioning my judgment. And what I had learned from um, other work I've done is when I'm really obsessed with what someone else thinks of me and I'm like, oh, he thinks I'm a poor decision maker, really what's going on underneath is that I think I'm a poor decision maker. That's why I have such a strong reaction. Because if someone else came up to me and was like, wow, you really have purple skin and I do not, I'm not going to be like, I'm so offended. I'll be like, are you okay? 
I really don't have purple skin or something, right? Like the criticisms that we take the most painfully are the criticisms we take personally, which means we already believe them ourselves. So I had this realization that basically the story my anxiety was telling me is you can't trust yourself to make a good decision. You are bad at trusting yourself. You can't trust yourself. That was the story that my anxiety was telling me. And that's the story that anxiety does generally tell is, are you sure you have what you need to survive this situation? Are you sure you have the capabilities to ha- to to survive and thrive and do well in this situation? And that's based on previous experiences, you know, whether you actually failed or not, but we've got all these messages tied up in needing to do well in every space. And so our anxiety can get really hooked onto that. Thinking about it as we're not a worthy human being if we we fumble or we wobble or we show some weakness, you know? So that's the story of how I, I, I listened to my anxiety in that moment. And I came up with this story. It's sort of a dual story. So there was the piece of it that said, he doesn't trust me with decisions. And then really the uh, the reason that mattered to me is because underneath, I don't trust myself with decisions. And that was very heartbreaking. I felt like it was good to know what was bothering me, but then I felt stuck. I'm like, well, great. Now I'm just a person who doesn't trust themselves. Like, that's unfortunate. I guess I'm kind of screwed, right? That's where it helps to get still and start to fact check. So starting with the level of my colleague, I can ask myself some simple questions. So I can sit there and be like, I'm upset with him because he doesn't trust my decision making. In that situation, he was showing that he doesn't trust my decision making. Is that true? And one way to do this is really trying to zoom out and get clear about what actually happened in the meeting? What am I interpreting as his lack of trust in me? So I suggested a speaker. He said the following things. He said, I've seen some posts of hers on Facebook that make me concerned about her professionalism. And I've had past experiences with her where I didn't find her Um, to be that strong of uh, a medical professional. So if you like put that all in quotes, like say there was like a court reporter in the room, where in what I've just described, has he questioned my decision making at all? Um, If someone else was viewing the same interaction, would they all 100% say, oh yeah, he was questioning your decision making? Or was it something else? Was What are other ways I could interpret what was happening? Could I be, could he actually be not sure and questioning his own decision making? So he's hearing me, a respected colleague, suggest a speaker. And he's, he's saying, gosh, in the past, my decisions and, and judgment of this person were very different from yours. And he's sort of reflecting on that out loud. And it's actually about him being uncertain of his own decision making. Could it be that he is actually not questioning me at all? He has trust and faith in my decision making. And he thinks he has information that will help me make that decision, right? Or is he, I don't know, a maniacal villain who 
wants me to feel bad about myself. Like, I guess they're all out there. They're all possible ways of viewing it. Which way of viewing it helps me feel most confident and listen to what he's saying without taking it personally, right? So there's a a couple ways you can do it. So literally asking yourself the question, whatever thing you think is going on that feels like absolute truth, is it true? Can you absolutely know for certain that it's true? So if your body is trying to send you the message that you are not safe in your current environment, is it true? Looking around you physically and thinking in your mind mentally, is it true that you are not safe? And you're not berating your emotion for giving you that message. You understand it's trying to protect you, but saying, hey, anxiety, hey, fear, you think I'm not safe in this situation where I'm sitting on my couch by myself. What evidence do you have to support that I'm not safe in that scenario, right? And so that's the second method you can use. So you can ask yourself the question, is it true? Can you absolutely know it's true? You can ask your brain to generate the evidence that it has already that supports this hypothesis. So in the situation with um, with my colleague, I can ask, hey, what's the evidence that shows that he questions my decision making? And your brain will come up with some. But then you say, okay, is there any evidence in this same situation that supports the opposite? Is there a way you can interpret the situation that proves the hypothesis that he does trust your decision making? If he tr- does trust your decision making, or is there evidence of that in the scenario? And you could come up with the same. Oh, he trusts my decision making enough to share his concerns. He's, he trusted my decision making in, in that he actually still agreed for me to book the speaker, right? Even though he had misgivings himself personally. So I, I can come up with evidence to the contrary, right? And then the third method, and these all work very well in tandem with each other. The third method is getting really like neutralizing the description of the situation as much as possible. So, you know, if I'm telling a story to my friend and I'm like, oh my gosh, this colleague of mine, it was totally undermining me. He was questioning every decision I was making. Like you can ask yourself, is that true? You can double check the evidence. And you also can try and describe it in the most neutral fashion possible. So you can say, my colleague said these words and you just quote those words and then say, okay. And then what's my thought about it? My thought is that he was undermining me, but the same set of facts, someone could have a different thought about it. Ones that are, um, especially this third method uh, can make it really clear is something that involves like numbers. So it's a really great one to use. For example, so say you're trying to lie still, you're you're trying to make time for a, a rest practice, you're trying to give yourself a minute to do something you enjoy, and your brain is setting the too much to do bomb that there's not enough time bomb, which are the same thing is said two different ways, right? So you're there, you're trying to relax and you're like, there's just too much to do. I got to go do something. I don't have time for this. This is like a waste of time. So you can ask yourself, okay, brain, you think there's too much to do. Tell me what is there to do? And like, either you literally have a to-do to do list already, or you write out the things that your brain is telling you right now that you absolutely have to do this minute instead of having a five minute rest practice. And then you count them. So you write them out and you're like, okay, I have, it's, I, my brain is telling me I have 25 things to do. Um, 
And, you know, how long do you think that I'll have to do this? And it, sometimes it's absurd. It's like, well, I have an hour before my kids come home and my brain's telling me I have 25 things to do. Yeah, well, you know, I guess most humans would say you have too much to do. But just thinking realistically then, right, you look at that list and you're like, okay, how could these all be for me to do in, in an hour when I have 25 things apparently on this list? What do I actually realistically think I could do? And could I do that one thing after I rest for five minutes and spend five minutes with myself, right? So it's like if you're looking at your um, EMR inbox and you're like, I can't handle, there's too much work here, this workload is too much. Just understand that too much is extremely subjective and a way to fact check that is to be like, how many inboxes, inbox items do I have? Okay, I have 56 inbox items. Some people will look at 56 inbox items and say, whew, only 56? Wow, I'm really crushing it. Because they're used to, I don't know, thousands or something. Other people will be like, 56? That's way too much. But if you start to get really specific with your brain, like, do you have 56 inbox items most days? And does every day your brain look at that inbox and be like, oh, it's so full, even though that's like literally as much as you often get most days? right? You could change how you view that number, which is totally neutral. That's, that's a way to fact check the story, right? So those are three methods for fact checking. And I've given you a couple examples of how they use it. Um, I just want to circle back to the deeper story, because using actually that second method that we just talked about, the method where you look for evidence I found this to be an extremely powerful antidote to anxiety in general that I learned through coaching I received on the situation with my colleague. So I'd uncovered that it was less about if my colleague had undermined me or questioned my decision, but really it's because I was thinking, my anxiety was telling me the message of anxiety, which is, I don't trust myself. I can't trust myself in these sorts of situations. And so a coach really pressed me to fact check that. Where do you have evidence in your life that you do trust yourself? Do you trust? And what they asked me to do is make a list of 10 things and then 100 things that I would just find throughout the day that are examples of ways I do trust myself. So I trust myself to brush my teeth twice a day. And I do it. I trust myself to put on underwear every day. I trust myself to have a shower every day. I trust myself to exercise every day. That's something that I do, right? So they have to be things that are currently true. But it was so powerful to make that list and to just say, okay, brain, yeah, there are areas of my life that I'm learning and I'm new at it. And so I'm wobbly. And for, for example, I'm still learning how to communicate and chair a meeting, including times when people have differences of opinions for me. And so I felt less certain in that situation. That makes sense. But we're not going to use that as evidence that I don't trust myself globally. I do trust myself globally. And the looking for evidence of it, it's incredible. It generates more of that confident, calm, resting emotion. So if you have a story that you can't trust yourself to get still and rest. Fact check how that's true. Where in your life do you grasp moments of rest? Maybe it's not full rest where you're like deep in like 
enlightened in meditation, sitting in a corner with your legs crossed. But what can you let go of? What do you frequently let go of on a regular basis, right? You see a patient, you see the next. How often are you able to finish that encounter, close the book on that patient, and let them go from your mind before moving on to the next? We think about the ones that stick with us. I understand that. But what about all the others that you do confidently let go and trust yourself, trust your decision making about, right? How can you find all the ways that you already rest when you pause and close your eyes and take a sip of coffee? That counts. They all count. Start to add up in your day and in your week all the times that you do trust yourself to take a break. You trust yourself to take a pause and then pick it back up again. You do it more than you think. We all do it at least some amount every night in bed, which with with whatever means helps us get there. You take medication for it. You do whatever you need to do to get it. You feel like you're crap at rest. You crap at sleep. It, It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we get sleep because rest is a natural state we just absolutely access. When you drive in your car, do you check your phone constantly and read and scroll and do a million things while you're driving in your car? Most of us would say no. We are able to rest from our phones when we're driving in our car. We're able to rest from other activities when we do one activity and focus on it, right? So those all count. You get to add those up into a story that allows you to build on it and say, I'm already this good at rest. I'm already actually this good at accessing my ability to relax. And now I'm going to stretch and see if I can do it a little more and see how much more rejuvenated and in touch with myself I end up being if I allow even more rest into my life, right? It's about scarcity versus abundance. If you are thinking that your ability to rest is very scarce, If you're thinking your ability to handle your emotions and actually check in with yourself is scarce and you're bad at it and you've barely ever done it and you're going to be terrible at it because you're a complete novice, that's going to make it seem harder to start doing it. If you already think you've started doing it and you have, you've been living with your emotions your whole life, girl. You've been resting your whole life, okay? You've had lots of moments of rest. You're sitting there or you're walking and you're, you're listening to me, which means you're resting your brain from doing other things, okay? So that means you're coming from a place of abundance and just adding to it and growing with it. Our brains are so trained to be scarce thinking, and they don't have to be that way. So what are the stories that keep you from rest that you want to fact check? Can you ask them, is it true Are you absolutely, it's true, absolutely certain that it's true? Can you ask the story, what's your evidence for and what's your evidence against that story being true? And especially the evidence against, make that list as long as possible. And then the third strategy is, can you neutralize it and get it down to the brass tacks facts, numbers, quotations, that's it. And see how much freer you feel realizing the bare facts are different from the story you've been telling yourself, that means there are different ways to interpret that same set of facts that can be more freeing and um, supportive of your journey into rest. I hope you all have a wonderful, restful week, and I'll see you next week.